Lupus LA would like to thank our generous sponsors for their support of the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals is focused on managing complexity and improving lives. Their work in the autoimmune space is critical to finding new and innovative treatments for lupus. Emerge Business Solutions serves as a personal and professional CFO for clients across a wide spectrum of industries. They handle financial affairs with integrity and transparency. Lupus LA is proud to work hand-in-hand with Emerge to manage all of its financial needs. Gemini Beauty believes in beauty for a cause, and in their case, the cause is lupus. Creating products to specifically address the needs of lupus patients, but with broad appeal across all skin types. The team at Gemini is changing the skincare game for good. Gemini Beauty also donates 10% of their profits to Lupus LA, so you know your purchase is helping lupus patients and their families. Find the gem in you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lupus LA podcast, Your Story, Our Fight. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, and I want to thank our sponsors for helping us to tell these very inspirational lupus stories. And we certainly have one of those here with us today. Uh, I want to introduce you to fashion model Cambria Francesca. She is a a truly, I would say, a powerhouse. And you're, ex- I'm so excited to tell your story. Uh, Cambria, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So tell me, so give me your pre-lupus childhood, because you you were diagnosed uh, as a teenager, right? So <clears throat> give me the, did you ever have any symptoms growing up that were unexplained? Did you ever know? Not even a little bit. I mainly had asthma, which I was, a, I was an athlete. So I kind of pushed myself to grow out of that. Um, I had a lot of sports injuries and that was pretty much it. What kinds of sports injuries were they like joint stuff and things like uh, that? I messed my Achilles tendon up a couple of times. So I was playing, I was a center. I was five, eight by the time I was 10 years old. I was a beast. Oh my goodness. And I'm I, not even five, eight anymore. I, I mean, <laughs> I may have been five, eight for like a week one day, but that's about it. <laughs> then you shrunk back <laughs> up. Oh. Um, I was gone. The first time I remember I was going up for a layup and I landed on another girl and my ankle just, and from that day on, it was just weak. So every time I would try and go do something again, it would go out for me again. So you're in high school, you're an athlete, you're playing sports, you're doing everything. So what? That was junior high, actually. That was junior high. Okay. So you get to high school, you're still an athlete, you're still... No, by then my doctor told me if I, because uh, I had started to put little tears in my Achilles and he was like, okay, you're going to uh, affect your walking if you keep doing this. So I veered over to dance and to music. Got it. Okay. So at what point in your high school period did you start to notice something's not right? Uh, it was actually, it happened overnight. I was 15, turning 16. And I went to sleep one night after studying really, really long hours after school for a test. I was an international baccalaureate high school scholar. And I just felt very, very fatigued which was unusual for me. And then I woke up that night screaming in pain, like someone was stabbing me in my abdomen over and over again. Mm. And I had a really bad aversion to hospitals. My grandmother had been having heart issues and my grandfather had passed. So at that age, I just was not trying to go to a hospital. Uh, By the next morning, I was begging my mom to take me. 
So we went to the hospital and they did oh. ultrasounds. They, I'm a female. So of course they did all the little girl checks and said, oh, it must be a burst ovarian cyst. You'll be fine. Um, the pain didn't go away. So I kept going to the hospital for, I think I was there six times in the next month. And so they finally decided to just open me up and do an exploratory laparoscopic surgery to see what was going on. So all of, at all of this time, my mom is paying attention to my blood work because her sister has lupus and her father had discoid lupus and she, we have cousins and stuff. So it's run in our family. And she knew that there were certain markers that she wanted to pay attention to just in case. And I always had a low white blood count. And that was something that was concerning her. And my heart rate was always high. So she asked them, you know, lupus runs in the family. While you're doing all these other tests, you might as well do this. And so while we were doing the surgeries and testing for all of these other things, they ran me up for lupus. And they said, oh, ding, this one might work. <laughs> you have <laughs> a smart mom. A while. Yes, I do. I have a smart mom and I have a fierce mom. Yeah. Well, that, and, and I think that's probably a big part of, I mean, do you think you would have gotten your diagnosis without her intervention? Um, I, that was just the beginning. Unfortunately for me, lupus was the opening door to a lot of other comorbidities, mm -hmm. but doctors weren't seeing me. They were seeing a girl talking about she was in pain, but there was nothing showing it. There was no physiological reason. So I got a lot of give her the drugs and get her out of here at 15, 16, calling me a drug addict, calling me drug seeking, labeling me as problematic when they just take take the time to put in the effort to figure out what was wrong. And, it was and a once lot the lupus diagnosis came back, did that change or, or what it was the approach then? To a degree, there was still a lot of minimization of, oh, well, you shouldn't be feeling this or you shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that bad comparing me to other patients because there was still a lot of information that hadn't been known. Um, lupus affects everybody differently. <laughs> so people have an idea in their head of what sick people should look like and how they should act and how they should be all of the time. And doctors have that as well. And so when you show up in front of them and you don't look how they expect you to look, their own preconceived notions and biases come into play. Mm -hmm. When you discovered you had lupus, did, do we, do we think the stomach pain that you were having ended up being part of that? Was that, did they ever figure out what that was? They always said that it could be contributing to it, but they first they said it was endometriosis. And, but my pain isn't cyclical, it's all the time. And with endometriosis, it would mainly be when your period comes mm -hmm. or it would get worse at least when your period comes. Um, and then they said, okay, well, maybe it's nerves when we cut you open. And then of course, lupus can affect your nerves. So for a long time, years, 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 they couldn't figure it out. And they kind of stopped trying, they just kind of, dubbed it a chronic pain disorder and left it at that. But I luckily have a couple new doctors that I got during COVID and right after, and they've been doing a lot of research and a lot of work and have been listening to me a lot more. So I appreciate that. So the stomach pain really then that pain continued and still so continues. It, I, I, I am in pain at this exact second, like I'm being stabbed. Really? 
Wow. I, I, that's, that's terrible. I mean, that's just not sustainable, you know? I mean, I, I guess it is for you for 15 years, right? I mean, that's, 16. Um, do you ever, do you ever get relief? Is there anything that helps you? Is there anything that, um, I don't remember what it feels like to not be in pain. Um, but I have moments where my pain gets down to a point where it's in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where I kind of push to stay. I'm like, I would like to just be manageable, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it sure. takes, it takes a lot. And there's other things going on. My doctors think I might have chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, I have a condition called IIH, which is a inter- idiopathic intracranial hypertension, which is just a funny way of saying that I get brain swelling. And they don't know why. So all of these things are just compounded from this one diagnosis. And you have fibromyalgia also, right? Yes. Which some yeah. doctors don't believe in and, and told right. me I didn't have. Right, right. Um, so how did you, did you, how did you finish your high school career? What came next? What was? I, I didn't get to walk with my class. I didn't get to graduate. Um, I was a couple credits short. And so I completed school that summer, did the packets and turned it in and they gave me, mailed me my diploma. Um, And then I have attempted college twice. I -hmm. first went to Mills College, which is all, which was actually this this year, they are closing. They were bought Mm -hmm. by another university. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went there for a semester. I think it's a semester, it's quarter systems is next place. And my health got worse and my school got kind of invested in my health and sending me to certain doctors and it distracted me from my work. So I wasn't able to stay there. And then I went to East Bay and I stayed there for about three years. And then at, I would say around 20, the end of 2011, starting 2012, um, my aunt who had lupus passed away from lupus and it started a spiral. Um, she died, then my uncle died, then my cousin died, then another cousin died, and the aunt died, and it just kept going. And I couldn't, I couldn't deal. I was in the hospital and by that next year I ended up in a coma. So I left school, I moved back to LA with my mom and I was having seizures regularly because I started having seizures at 18, which doctors never really understood why. I always viewed it as my body's stress response. Mm -hmm. When I, when it was just too much, (laughs) I would just check out and I'd start seizing. And um, I started seizing one night and I stopped breathing. So my mom called the emergency room, went to the hospital. They gave me Dilantin and I went into anaphylaxis. And so oh they God. put me into a coma and I was in a coma, I believe, I believe my mom said four days. I was in the hospital total, I think like 10 days to two weeks. It's all a lot, really blurry. Wow. Yeah, I, I, w- I would think. I mean, I, you know, it's funny on this podcast, I try not to walk through everybody's path in terms of their actual illness and symptoms, but your story is different uh, and and surprisingly, the twists and turns in it are not, 
I would say not common to lupus. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I find that really fascinating in terms of, I, I, well, I think showing our audience too, that not, I mean, we've said this a million times that not every lupus patient are alike, but I don't think people quite realize how different lupus mm-hmm. patients can be in terms of what happens to them. And I mean, what's happened to you is super, super scary. And that makes your um, career and your advocacy and all that you do really uh, even more impressive. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to take a break and then I want to come back from our break and I want to find out all of the things that you do despite this incredible journey you've been on um because i think our audience is going to be if they're not inspired by that then uh, i don't know i quit but uh (laughs) all right we'll be right back after this message thank you please visit our online store at lupusla.org by purchasing lupus la products you are directly supporting lupus patients and their families for more information visit lupusla.org Lupus LA's fellowship program is an essential part of ensuring the training of future rheumatologists. The nation is experiencing a serious shortage of pediatric rheumatologists. Today, there are approximately 300,000 children diagnosed with rheumatic conditions in the United States, but only about 250 practicing pediatric rheumatologists to meet this tremendous need. We are back on the Lupus LA Your Story, Our Fight podcast, talking to Cambria. Cambria, so we we we've your story is incredible. What what possessed you, or what what happened that got you into modeling? Um, my friend tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in college and I was super insecure. Um, and he was a photography major, and he just kept asking, "Please, please, please, come be my." my model for my last project and I told him no and I told him go to hell basically and he waited until it was due until he was basically gonna fail (laughs) and then was like um yeah so you're gonna make me fail and so I felt guilty and I let him go do it and then he sent the pictures out which I didn't know he was gonna do and they I got a lot of attention from them I actually got invited to do a music video with E40 I I didn't do it (laughs) but (laughs) the invite was very nice (laughs) right um and it's just seeing the way that he saw me this confident beautiful woman that I didn't see in myself just it it bit me I I wanted to do more I couldn't wait to get back in front of the camera um And then I got sick. Uh, My disease got a little worse. My lupus got worse. And my doctor put me on Lyrica and didn't tell me, I guess it didn't dawn on him, that weight gain would be a big thing for a 20-something-year-old girl. (laughs) Uh, And I gained about 50 pounds in two months. Wow. It literally felt like my body was being stretched I would lay down and my skin would feel bruised because Uh I had expanded so quickly and it just, it tore all of my self-esteem apart. I covered mirrors. I stopped looking at myself. 
Um, I was in a relationship that also he stopped looking at me and touching me. So that definitely wrecked my self-esteem even further. And then my family members started to pass. And then I went to the coma. And Mm -hmm. when I woke up from my coma, um, I grew up in a very, very religious family. So Mm -hmm. I've always had a pretty close relationship to God. I've always been a very spiritual person. And when I was in my coma, I always had this belief that, you know, when you pass, there's going to be this opportunity if you want to fight, you know, fight for your life like they see in the TV shows. It was black. There, there Uh There was nothing for me. And I had a real crisis of faith about that. And so when I came out of it, um, this rabbi was walking down the hallways in the hospital. It was the weirdest thing. And the nurses at the hospital, I guess every time I would see them, they looked worried. So I guess I wasn't doing good. They wouldn't tell me that, but I, I saw pictures of me. I, I, I didn't look good. And they must have conveyed that to him. Or he said he said that he walked past my room and he felt a presence that he needed to come in and speak to me. And so he sat down and he had a Christian Bible in his hands. He said, I, this isn't about religion. He's like, I don't know what religion you are. I'm not trying to push that on you. He's like, I just have a feeling that you need to talk. And I just burst into tears for three hours. I sat there talking to this man. Hmm. And when I left, I decided I wasn't going to throw my life away because that's what I felt like I had done. And I didn't at the time, this was 2013. I didn't really know about plus size modeling. I had never heard of it. I didn't know any models who did it, but I decided if there wasn't a place for me, I was going to make one. So I went and I did research and I found out about Ashley Graham. I looked up um, plus model magazine and I said, you know what, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And by 2015, I was applying to Plus Model Magazine. And by 2016, I was their model of the month. Hmm. Wow. That is, I, your story just keeps getting more and more interesting. I, you know, the (laughs) the rabbi uh, influence on the plus size model world. I love it. Yeah. I I love it. I love it. Listen, look, when you're in a situation like that and it's, it's, things are dark and you just, you need somebody to show you that light and you show you the, the, that there is a path forward. And I think for everybody out there, there is a path forward. It's just, and how you get to that path is totally up to you and totally up to fate and whatever else. But, um, but that path forward is there. And I think you found it. And so tell me how did finding this career change your lupus how did how did it change your health it gave me a reason to get healthier to focus more on my health because I had people coming to me saying I've never felt beautiful until I saw you and you reflected that for me and understanding that health wasn't about my size because that I, I was an athlete I was wrapped up in that understanding that what I put into my body and how I treat my body and how I treat my mind all has to do with health 
And if I can use my modeling, if I can use even like the some of the harder, hardest part about having lupus is it's had a big mental toll on me. I'm having a good, I'm, I'm able to have this communication right now, but it's because a lot of this stuff is stuff that I've said before. But when it comes to having to communicate off the cuff, my retrieval process isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so having modeling be able to be my words for me when my words were always my strongest attribute, that's been healing. Mm-hmm. Seeing that lupus took a lot from me, but modeling gave a lot back. Well, I, your words are working just fine. Here, so, <laughs> um, and I, I can appreciate that. I think, I think having that sense of purpose, having that knowledge that not only are you finding purpose, but that you're showing other people what can be done and, you know, being a lupus advocate and being, um, out there showing the world, I think is, is super important. And, and I, I do want to give a plug. So tell me how you matched up with uh, Gemini beauty who um, <clears throat> plug, plug, they are the are fabulous sponsor of this podcast, but, um, but how did you become a Gemini beauty model? I was working with an amazing social media PR company called pretty social PR. And they are a, one of their clients is Gemini beauty and pretty social PR is dedicated to inclusivity and diversity and helping brands bring that to society. And so they know that I am a lupus patient and that I'm disabled. And they knew that Gemini beauty was specifically looking for people who shared that with them. And so they connected us and I was so honored. Oh, her products are amazing. <laughs> Go yeah. get them. Go yeah. get them. <laughs> for sure. For sure. No, I, so, so tell me about that. That's almost like everything really coming full circle. Um, and how does that impact again? How, does that, does that give you more, um, more fuel in the tank, more, Absolutely. Um, For me, sometimes there has been times where I felt like if I'm modeling or if I'm out there working, that I'm hurting the image that people have of sick people, which I know is my ableism in my own head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I apologize. It just fell out. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, I my question was sort of this work you've been doing with Gemini Beauty, you know, a brand that you know is specifically helping lupus patients. How has that sort of ignited the fire in you and the you know, the the marrying the advocacy and the modeling and all of it in your health? So, something like that makes it really feel like I have a purpose and when I have a purpose, it makes what I'm going through feel worth it. Uh, for me, I've one of the things that lupus and have, being sick has taught me was that a lot of my plans needed to get replanned. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I actually have a thing where I don't like I don't make plans anymore. I set goals. And if I mm-hmm. don't meet that goal, I don't beat myself up about it. But I realized every time I plan for something, it usually goes to crap. 
So I've been able to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment that I haven't had in a very long time. And being able to use that feeling as fuel to help ignite other people who feel like they can't accomplish things because of what doctors have told them, what their families told them, anything else. I, I, that's why I get up. That's why mm-hmm. I do it. Mm-hmm. So I, <clears throat> where do you go from here? Where do you go in terms of your health, in terms of your career? What's next? Well, right now I'm trying really, really, really hard to get more people to see that disability, lupus, sickness, all of that is honestly, it's a part of life. We're just as beautiful, just as bold, just as everything else as anybody else. So like right now I have to use a cane. So in my modeling, I have made it a point even when I don't need it that day I want people to see me with my cane and recognize this is part of life and it's beautiful and celebrate it and so I want that type of diversity and inclusivity to just be normal that's that's Mm -hmm. that's my goal is to have lupus conversations be normal without people telling me oh this isn't the place or the time to not feel like when I take out my medicine at a restaurant or at a friend's house that I'm going to get shamed for it. My goal is to make this not be a topic that people are uncomfortable or afraid to talk about anymore. Well, I can tell you this was a perfectly normal lupus conversation and I am thrilled to have had it with you. I wish you incredible success. Um, you. you You have an Instagram that you want people to follow. What do you have? Yes. So it is my first name at Cambria, the word plus and the word model, all one word, Cambria plus model. Perfect. We're going to put that up on the screen and hopefully you're going to be part of the Lupus LA family from here on out and part of the Gemini beauty family from here on out. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining us and and, uh, taking time to speak to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for everything that you guys are doing. I really, it it means so much for days when we don't have a voice. This is our voice. So thank you. Of course. On behalf of the entire team at Lupus LA, we thank you for joining the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Please tune in, spread the word, and come back for more inspiring lupus stories. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, wishing you good health and to always remember your story is our fight.